Good morning, City Light. All right, not bad. It's 11 o'clock, you know, we can get going here. Lunch is on its way. Uh, I'm Eric. I am excited to be one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm excited to be part of a church where there's just a lot of stuff happening. God is moving, and I got to tell you, this last week was a busy one for me. It was busy at home, and it was busy at work. Let me give you a little insight. Um, at home, my, this past week, my three oldest kids, they started school, which is a super fun time, but it's also a busy time because you're getting in new rhythms and you've got more things to do. Uh, they got to start reading and studying and that kind of thing. Um, my youngest is two years old. His name's Ivor. And, and the same week, uh, we started potty training him. Which means Sarah and I have spent more time sitting next to a kid on a toilet waiting for something to happen than anybody ever wants to. Uh, But he's doing well, and uh, it just means there's been a lot on the plate, right? And then here at work, um, we got all the normal stuff that's happening, and uh, thanks to your guys' generosity, we got to start taking walls out and beginning construction down in the City Light Kids area, which is super exciting. Thank you for that. Yes. We're going to get intentionally invest in some kids down there in new ways because of that. So it's really exciting, but it also means there's just more work to do uh, throughout the week, right? And so I just get home, and I've worked hard all day. I work hard in the evening with the family, and at the end of the day, I've been beat. And my wife is in the same place, and I learned we respond differently to exhaustion and fatigue, right? I lay down at the end of the day, and I'm asleep before my head hits a pillow, Sarah lays down at the end of the day, and her mind just races through all the things she has not done that she needs to do, right? Keeps her up at night. I don't know why God made us that way. It's not fair, but I'm glad I'm on the side I'm on, you know? Uh, Can you relate to that? Can you relate to what it's like to just be exhausted at the end of the day because of the busyness of life? I don't think Sarah and I are alone in this. I think if we pulled the people here, most of us would say, yep, I get it. I know what it's like to be tired, exhausted, and busy. Uh, You know, I think the world around us sees that. I think the world around us has a pulse on uh, itself, and so there are companies that have built themselves up around offering solutions to this problem, right? One of them is Coca-Cola. Have you ever seen an ad like this? It's a little old. Um, This guy is apparently some Olympic swimmer. He's just exhausted himself competing at the highest level of athletics in the world. And what's he do at the end? Cold, refreshing glass of Coke, right? I don't know any swimmer that gets out of the pool and drinks a Coke. But Coke wants you to think that. Uh, Does anybody know Coca-Cola's mission statement? Their corporate mission statement? It's kind of well-known in in, uh, enterprise circles. It goes like this. Our mission is to refresh the world in mind, body, and spirit. That's an audacious goal, right, for Coca-Cola. They're going to refresh the entire world in mind, body, and spirit. They look at the world around them, and what do they see? They see people in need. They see professionals who are overworked. They see friends who need to reconnect. They see athletes who are physically exhausted. They see students who are studying hard. They see Santa Claus racing around the world delivering presents, right? It doesn't matter who you are. Everybody's got the same need. They are exhausted and they need refreshment. And the answer, according to Coca-Cola, 
ice-cold sugar water, right? That's going to do it for us. Um, I don't think they uh, got the answer right, but I think they got the assessment right. I think they see a truth in the world around us. Today, we're going to look at the Bible and see a community that refreshes. Okay, look at this with me. At least that's what Paul, the way Paul described it. Um, Philemon only has one chapter, so we'll be in verse 7. Paul wrote, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. The hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. He's not talking about the uh, New Orleans Saints football team, right? This is, uh, he, saints is just a word he uses for followers of Jesus. He says that the followers of Jesus have been refreshed by Philemon. So I don't know if you guys are in the market that Coca-Cola sees. I don't know if you would look at life and say, I'm busy and exhausted. Um, But if you could relate to that, if ever in life you felt like, yeah, I could use a little refreshment, then this morning you ought to be excited about learning more about what Philemon's community was like. Because the Bible says that the hearts of the people around Philemon were refreshed by him. And so this morning, I just want to look at what does that look like? Who are these people? What did they do? How did that work? Okay, so that's where we're going. We're going to be in the book of Philemon all morning. We're going to start in verses 1 through 3. I want you to notice, when we ask the question, what about Philemon's community was refreshing? From the outset, we will see that this community was a family. Okay, look look for that with me. We're going to be in verses 1 through 3. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to catch two things from these first three verses. Number one, Paul used family language when he described this community. This is not an uncommon thing in Paul's letters to Christians. In fact, it's the opposite. It's a very common thing. He used family language. So he says things like, Timothy, our brother, and Aphia, our sister. Now we know from the Bible that Paul and Timothy were not brothers by blood. And we could guess that uh, Aphia wasn't Paul's sister or Timothy's sister or Philemon's sister. Yet, he says, Timothy, our brother, and Aphia, our sister. If it's not by blood, what's he talking about? Why would you use that language? I think he's saying they are a family of faith because they share the same father in heaven. Right? He says, our father, God. He uses family language to describe this community. But he doesn't just use family language. He says they meet in a family setting. Did you catch it? He addressed the letter to Philemon and the church in your house. Philemon and the church in your house, they met in a family setting. Now, part of that, if we're honest, was probably necessity. 
They probably would have met in a home because early church plants don't often have the resources to buy a building or buy some land and build a building. Honestly, we're way ahead of the game in this um, because some great saints of God at Sherwood Community Church sustained this building, built it, and then they uh, passed it on to us. And so we're ahead of the game back in, yeah, thank you. Um, Praise God for that. Uh, But most church plants, startup churches, they don't get that. Uh, They got small groups and not a lot of resources. And so they would have met in a home, maybe out of necessity. But I don't think it was only necessity. I think there was blessing to it. I think there was intention to it. We see elsewhere in Scripture, um, particularly in the book of Acts, that the early church shared meals together in their homes. One of the cool ways that they say it, they broke bread together in their homes, right? Um, They would praise God together in their homes. They shared meals. They did devotions. When they met in a family setting, it naturally led to family rhythms. You see, if we ask the question, what about Philemon's community was refreshing, I think we see at least two things. They used family language, and they met in a family place. That means they weren't just a group that met on Sunday mornings and had donuts, listened to sermons, and sang songs, right? They were brothers and sisters, who uh, related to each other that way. They knew each other that way. They would meet in homes and eat together and laugh together and know each other. They were brothers and sisters who followed in the footsteps of their father together. I would say what refreshed these people in Philemon's community? It was missionary family. They were a family on the mission of their father. You with me? All right, here's where we're going to go the rest of that time. I think that uh, we got one point. Missionary families are refreshing. In a busy and exhausted and overwhelmed and burnt out world where international multi-billion dollar companies are built on selling refreshment We can look at the Bible and see it actually tells us where to go to get refreshed when sugar water doesn't do the trick, right? We go to missionary family. Missionary family is more refreshing than a glass of Coke after mowing the lawn. It's more refreshing than getting that text after your loved one's plane has just touched down safely. It's more refreshing than heading out on your commute to work and all those orange cones are on the side of the road instead of in the middle of it, right? Because construction is over. Missional family refreshes people. And for the rest of our time, we're going to look at two ways that it does that from the first few verses in Philemon. So first, missionary families refresh by loving. Let's look at the text, see if you see this. Verses 4 and 5. Paul wrote, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because, why is Paul thankful for these guys? Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Missionary families love Jesus and each other. Missionary families refresh When they love Jesus and they love each other. 
And so we could ask the question, does that happen today? Like, if we actually experience that, is what the Bible says here true to the experience we have in life? Are there missionary families that refresh each other by loving Jesus and the others in community? I would answer yes, and I want to back that up today. Okay, um, in our own church, we've been at this for a little over a year. There are all kinds of ways that we've already begun to love each other by serving. Okay, here's a list. Uh, off the top of my head as I was creating this. People have helped each other move, shingle roofs, paint houses, fix cars, make meals, mow lawns, pay bills, and babysit kids for parents who need a date. Okay, amen. Somebody say amen. I need that one. People have loved each other by serving. But I don't think that's the only way that a family loves each other. Right? If you look at your mom and dad or your brother and sister in a healthy family, they don't just partner in the tasks that it takes to get through life. They partner in a deeper way. So I would say the family um, loves by serving and by connecting. Okay? Um, let me give you a, an example of what it might look like to love by connecting. I think sometimes love feels like a you too I thought I was the only one kind of moment. A, you know what I'm going through. You can relate to me. I can, you can enter into my story because you've been there before kind of moment. You ever experienced one of those? Uh, let me tell you a story. Last spring, I was at Iowa Western at Citigroup, and there were probably six or seven of us sitting in a circle in the student center. Uh, a little lobby area, and we met there because we thought maybe if we meet here and study the Bible and pray together, a student will walk past and see it and want to join in, and that had never happened, okay? We had these high hopes, and uh, it had never happened until this night, and so we're there, and this guy walks by, young man, and he catches a glimpse of our circle, and, and he does one of those turnaround things, right? He's walking this way, he sees us, and he turns around, he says, hey, Vince, what are you doing? Vince is a regular at Citigroup. He's sitting over here. He's a great guy. And he looks at him, and in classic understated answer, um, he just says, oh, hey, Andrew, we're doing Bible study. And I think, all right, where's this going to go? You know, he just like lays it down. Not we're hanging out or something like that. Just right from the outset, we're doing Bible study. No joke. This is exactly how Andrew responded. You're a Christian too? He leans forward, his whole face changes, you too? It turns out that Andrew had gone through the ringer in life. He'd just been through one of the most challenging seasons he'd ever encountered in life and in his faith. And he was feeling lonely and isolated and longing for somebody who could, who could relate to him, who knew what it was like to be going through what he was going through. He was hoping for somebody else who knew Jesus that could lock arms with him and walk with him through that season and hopefully out of it. And he walks by and randomly sees Vince, maybe not randomly, right? Hey, Vince, what are you doing? We're doing Bible study. You too? You believe in Jesus too? You're a Christian too? I had no idea they played music together on campus. They'd never known that they were both Christians. And after that U2 moment, Andrew's part of the family. 
He joined the city group. He shared his struggles, and we prayed for him and walked with him. He began encouraging us too. It all changed when he had that sort of a moment. You know what that's like? Have you ever experienced that sort of a you too moment? Listen, I, I don't think it's only you believe in Jesus too. I think there are all kinds of ways that the you too moment can shape relationships, right? In city groups, sometimes it looks like that's your struggle too, right? Enter your struggle here. What does it look like? Pornography, alcohol, body image issues, financial issues, parenting issues, marriage issues, you name it, that's your struggle too? I thought I was the only one. I've hidden this for so long. It's been heavy on my heart, but I don't know who to talk to about it. I'm ashamed of it or embarrassed by it or just confused about it. Does anybody else ever go through this? That's your struggle too? I'm not the only one. It's not just your struggle. Sometimes it's your story, right? You've got a history, and you walk into a place and think, man, they're all put together. They know what it's about. They don't have anything like I've had in life. And so you walk in. We have a rhythm in my city group where once a month, somebody just shares their testimony. Where were you, and how did God take you from death to life, from darkness to light? And when those stories are shared, countless times somebody said, you too? Your history has pain or abuse or prison or addiction or abandonment or regret. You too, I thought I was the only one. I've been carrying that all by myself, isolated and alone. Isn't it refreshing to know you're not the only one? You ever experienced that? I think part of the reason that those experiences are so refreshing to the soul, to have somebody else enter into your story, is because that's at the heart of the gospel right? Jesus didn't stay far away and detached from us when he saw our, our circumstances. The Bible says that Jesus was in heaven. He stepped out of heaven and wrapped himself in flesh. It says he took on flesh and lived among us. It says he was tempted in every way that we were tempted. What's your story? What's your struggle? Jesus entered into this world. And let me tell you a little bit about his story. He was born to an unwed, poor teenage mom. And dad was a blue-collar, hard-working carpenter. And in life, he made a, lot of, a few good friends and a lot of really aggressive enemies. And by the end, his enemies falsely accused him. His friends abandoned him. He suffered alone before they led him out to a cross where he was crucified for a wrongful conviction. What's your story? Is there brokenness? Is there pain? Abandonment? What does it look like? Jesus entered into our story so that we can look at him and say, You too? You know what that's like? You can relate to what I'm going through. Jesus is not a far off and detached God. He came down to live among us. And listen, that's not even the best news of the gospel. It's not even the best news. The best news is that that same Jesus who came down and entered into our story changes our story. He entered into our pain so that we could say, you too, Jesus, you know what I'm going through? And then after he was led to the grave and died there, after he proved that Satan and sin and death could deliver a Floyd Mayweather-style right jab, right? He could knock, they could knock him down, but they couldn't knock him out. 
He laid down in that grave and then he stood up, walked out, went home and sat down on his throne, resting from all the pain and trials that he'd ever had, all the pain and trials that you and I have ever had. Jesus is a victor. What is more refreshing than victory? Nothing. And so Jesus came to enter into our story so we could look at him and say, you too? And then he conquered all of those struggles so that he could look at us and say, you get to follow me too. You get victory too. You get refreshment too. I came to give you what you could not get on your own. That's the Jesus that that Philemon and his community loved. That's the Jesus that the brothers and sisters followed and celebrated. That's the Jesus who refreshes the hearts of the saints. So you're like, missionary family refreshes because they love Jesus and they love each other. Now, before I move on, I want to take, I want to step aside for just a moment and talk to the men. Because I'm pretty sure some of you men, when I said missionary families refreshed by loving, some of you just checked out, okay? Um, I think if we're honest with each other, as men, we are not good at loving. This kind of thing, we're just like, all right, that's not for me. I'll, I'll pay attention on point two, right? I think, we need to, I think we need to lean in and lead in on this. I, this is what I would ask. I know it's easier to swing a hammer and carry boxes for each other than it is to connect with each other. But men, I would ask you, would you take a step of faith and set down all of the awkwardness all of the unnaturalness, the uncomfortableness that comes with sharing your story and sharing your struggles, would you lay all that down for a minute and trust Jesus that missionary family refreshes? You will know Jesus better if you, if you take him at his word, if you trust that what he says is true. Now listen, if the men were, were killing it, something in our church and the women weren't, we'd say, hey, our church isn't going to flourish without you ladies. On this front, if the ladies are killing it and the men aren't, our church isn't going to flourish without the men. And so we're always going to call all of us to be on mission together. And men, I just want to say, would you step in, lean in, and lead in, take a step of faith, trust Jesus, and actually give yourself to missionary family? Would you do that? Okay, we're going to move on um, to point number two. Missionary families, they refresh by loving. Here's the next point that I want you to see. Missionary families refresh by sharing. All right, verse number six goes like this. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. If you read the uh, original languages here, the sharing of your faith isn't primarily evangelism. That means it isn't primarily finding people who don't know Jesus and telling them the good news of the gospel of Jesus. All right? The original language has uh, a word that means fellowship or community or family. So the sharing of your faith in this verse means more sharing your faith with each other that it would be a community effort at having faith. All right, let me, I think C.S. Lewis, um, he was a great author. Uh, he wrote a book called The Four Loves, and in it, I think he captures what Paul was getting at. 
So let's look together. C.S. Lewis wrote this. In each of my friends, there's something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I'm not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. Two friends delight to be joined by a third and three by a fourth. For in this love, to divide is not to take away. What's he saying? He's saying that we actually know each other better when we are all together. Okay, uh, let me give you an example. My son Asher has a laugh that only my daughter Bryn can get out of him. It's truer and deeper and fuller. It's more honest of a laugh than anything I have ever gotten out of him. That means I know Asher better because Bryn is in our lives. You know what that's like? C.S. Lewis is saying we need each other to see each other and Jesus better. Paul is praying, Philemon, you're refreshing the hearts of the saints. I'm praying that the sharing of your faith in community, in that you would see the fullness of all the good things that we have in Jesus Christ. That means Philemon would share his faith with him and him and her in community, and they would see in Philemon a unique and special working of God in his life. And then he and she, they would share their stories with the group, and Philemon would get to see in each of them a unique and special way that Jesus was working in their lives. And each of those people in community are like another spotlight on the diamond of who Jesus is so that every single facet is lighting up rather than just the one that you get to see. It's incredible. Let me tell you how this works in my own city group. Um, I'm a pastor, um, and so I know this probably shouldn't be my story, but I'm going to put my cards on the table, all right? Evangelism does not come easily to me. I love Jesus, and I love talking about Jesus. But in, in normal life, when opportunities arise, all too often, fear takes over, wins the day, and I bite my tongue. All right, that's just who I am. That's what it's like. I don't know if you can relate. Um, one day, I go to Citigroup. Tyler Mass walks in kind of excited. And uh, he had to get some work done on his vehicle. And so he went to the mechanic, took it in there, and he strikes up a conversation with the mechanic. While they're talking, the conversation turns to Jesus. And as they start talking about Jesus, Tyler starts sharing the gospel with his mechanic. By the end of the conversation, when all the work is done, the mechanic is so grateful to have been encouraged by the good news of the gospel, he says, I'll cover the bill. That has never happened to me. <laughs> Nothing even close has ever happened like that for me. All right? When Tyler told that story, I thought, this is incredible. I got to see an aspect of what Jesus is doing in the hearts of men that I don't usually get to see in my own life. It went something like this. Tyler, I can't believe that you struck up a conversation with your mechanic and started talking about Jesus when I take my car into the shop, I'm checking my phone the whole time. I don't even think about talking to those guys. But you talk to him, and then it went to Jesus, and guess what? He actually responded. It landed on him. And when Jesus says he set out to seek and save the lost, he actually set out to do that. And I see that in your story more than I see that in my own story. So I can trust Jesus. 
that he is actually going to take people from darkness to light and from death to life. I don't get to see that every day in my own world. I need Tyler telling his stories so that I can know and trust and believe. And the next time I get an opportunity to say something, I take a step of faith. Have you guys ever experienced the sharing of your faith and how it actually enhances friendship? It enhances relationship. It refreshes people. It doesn't detract from it. Sharing faith with your missional family, I think, it, I, I think it can look like all kinds of things. It can be sharing a testimony like Tyler did. It can be sharing answers to prayer, Bible verses that are impacting you, words of encouragement. It can be asking questions that are challenging you, sharing doubts that are weighing on you, celebrating wins together and grieving losses together. Listen, when we share our faith like that, we see Jesus more clearly. And it's refreshing. Missionary family refreshes by loving and by sharing. And so City Light, I want to end by saying this. As Doug and I started this thing, we prayed that God would start a movement here of taking ground for his kingdom. Uh, we had a verse that led us. It was 2 Corinthians 4, 6. It said, For God who said, let there be light, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It means God who said, let there be light, is still shining light, but instead of, instead of setting stars ablaze, he's setting hearts ablaze after him. And we said, we want that to happen here. And by God's grace, it is happening People are learning about Jesus and loving Jesus and moving from darkness to light. And it's my prayer that this doesn't slow down, that it doesn't putter out. And listen, it's work to follow Jesus. There are currents that go against us. The world still lays burdens on us. And like a runner in a marathon who needs friends along the way, handing cups of water, we need a, missional, a missionary family who's in it with us refreshing us. So I'm inviting you today to trust Jesus and take him at his word. I'm inviting you today to take a step of faith and enter into a missionary family. As our church grows and the Holy Spirit moves and more people join us, this can seem far more like a crowd than like a family. And we don't ever want that to happen. So would you step into a missionary family? Would you make it your own? Can I invite you to experience what it would be like to hear other people and have a you too kind of moment? Can, can I invite you into a community where you get to see the blazing glory of Jesus with dozens of lights of different lives shining on him rather than just one or two? Would we be a people that are never satisfied with just gathering on Sunday morning. We want to do that. We want it to be awesome. But will we never be satisfied? Because I don't think Jesus wants us to be satisfied with that. I think he wants us to be satisfied in him as part of a family. City Light, I love you guys. Paul wrote to Philemon and said, this is what refreshes you. It's not a cold glass of Coke. It is a family on mission after the heart of God. It's my prayer that that's who we would be.